Well, amen. Why don't you take your Bibles out, if you would, please? I'm going to be reading three different passages of Scripture. I'm going to try to connect them together because I believe that they, they dovetail right into each other. <clears throat> and so if you'll look, first of all, with me uh, to the book of Second Corinthians, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and if you can't keep up and you can't find your place there, we have provided for you this, the, uh, the, the scripture on the screen above. Uh, I want to welcome those who are visiting this morning. I saw a couple of new faces in the congregation. We're so glad that you decided to come and join us today. And just make yourself at home. You're in a good place. Um, also, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4 and the gospel according to John chapter 13. Beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their, sin, their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, what it's saying here is if, if I am in right relationship with God and I've made things right with him, then my relationship should be right with my brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, if I can't have a right relationship with you, then I don't have a right relationship with God. First John chapter 4, he clarifies that when he says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In other words, we know God because we've been reconciled to him. And if I have been reconciled to him, I have to have a right relationship with you. Verse 8 says, he who does not love, he, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12 says, no one has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us 
because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we know and we have known and believed that God, the love that God has for us, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, did you just hear what he said? The love of God has perfected us that we can have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love. In other words, I can stand before God if my love has been perfected, if I've walked in it, I've got a love for God and I've got a love for you. I can stand before the judgment without fear on the day of judgment. So the love has been perfected in us among this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment, he says, because as he is, so are we in the world, and there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. And if someone says, well, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. That commandment is found in John chapter 13, the last scripture we're going to read this morning in our opening text, verse 34. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Father, we just ask you in Jesus' name, God, to reveal to us today, God, the truth of your word, Lord, in a level that is even beyond our ability to comprehend. Lord, I pray today, God, that our spirit, man, will be open to receive from you, Lord, as you speak spirit to spirit, God. And Lord, that you call out deep to the deep, Lord, that inside of us, God, we realize that there is a command, God, there's an absolute demand that we walk in this truth, Lord. For God, I know and you've revealed to me that we cannot be in a right relationship with you and not be in a right relationship with each other. So, Lord, please just reveal to us today, God, I pray for the anointing of the Spirit to help me to preach your word today, God, with accuracy, Lord, with the right heart, the right compassion and love for the body of Christ. God, you have made me a minister of the gospel of peace, Lord, and you said that I am responsible for the souls of those to whom I speak. So, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide the words that I say today, and, Lord, that we will hear it, God, and because of it, Lord, we become more like you, for you said, as you are, so are we in this world today. Make us like you today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Now, some years ago, I went to an honor-bound conference with some of you guys were actually there with me. I, I forget where it was. I think it was in Pennsylvania. And uh, honor-bound is the uh, Assembly of God men's ministry, if you're not familiar with that. And we don't really push honor-bound too much here. We, um, um, but that is the, 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 the name given to the men's ministry. But anyway, it was an honor-bound conference, and the keynote speaker was Dr. Mark Rutland, a man that I greatly admire. He, he is a, just an extraordinary orator. Um, and he, he has a vocabulary that is just unreal. He speaks three languages. He had an earned PhD when he's 26 years old. He was the president of Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. Turned that university around as in financial trouble. Turned it around, paid off their debt, built buildings, and he just did an extraordinary job there. Then he went on to be the president of Oral Roberts University. He was also in financial trouble. Pulled them out. So he, he is an exceptional man. And so when he has something to say, I want to hear what he has to say. And one of the things he talked about is growing up, one of the reasons he was so intelligent is his mother, she believed that the misuse of a word was a sin against the cosmos. She kept a big Webster dictionary on their kitchen table, and every time they would sit down to a meal, they had to go to the dictionary, learn a word and its definition. And you had to use it correctly. And so because of that, he has just an extraordinary vocabulary, unlike myself. <laughs> I grew up, I didn't pay much attention to words and how they were used. You know, I, <clears throat> I didn't notice that if they were misused. I, I paid very little attention to their meaning. Truth be told, English was one of my less favorite subjects in high school. I plunked it more than one time. I just, to this day, I can't get it. All the nouns, pronouns, adjectives, and conjunctions, and my head goes, I think I've got English dyslexia or something. I don't know. And if you love English, God bless you. I appreciate you, and, I, and I, we need people like you, but I, I'm not that guy. Um, I remember when, when I was, I think it was in like the fifth grade, I had to go home and write down words and look up their definition. That was the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to go outside and play, you know. I was a goof off. I was a, I was a school dropout. I dropped out in the sixth grade without leaving school, if that makes sense. And I, I dropped out all the way through till I got my diploma. How in the world I graduated, I'll never know. I think they just like felt sorry for me or something. But uh, but the older I get, I, 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 want, I love God's word. And if you love God's word, you have to love words because words are important, you know. And uh, so I, I, I started noticing how words are used, um, even though I've got some very ingrained bad habits when it comes to grammar and sentence structure and, and vocabulary and that kind of thing. But I, I've worked on it. I, I had a lot of catching up to do. When I went to Bible college, they told me I had to turn my my work in in an, in an outline. I said, okay, <clears throat> as soon as you tell me what an outline is. Because <laughs> I honestly didn't know, you know. So I had a lot of catching up to do. And, uh, but since then, I have paid a lot of attention to words. And, and uh, so when Dr. Rowland said that, he, he said the misuse of a word is, it's, it's like you want to use words correctly. And he was building up, of course, to the sermon that he was going to be bringing that day. One thing he pointed out is we, we use some words for everything until they come to mean nothing. 
right? As an example, he said, for example, we say, how are you? How are you? That, that means hello. I hope you're having a nice day. I hope everything's going well. He said, what it almost never means is how are you, right? Because if you ask somebody, how are you? And they start saying, oh, my aching sacroiliac and my lumbago and oh, author is killing me and I can't eat and I can't sleep. My hair's falling out, my teeth falling out. You're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I didn't mean, how are you? I meant, you know, how are you? Right? And so we use words like that and we don't really know what they mean, you know. And so, of course, he was building up to his sermon. He was preaching on the subject of the word grace, and he preached on that. So I took his lead, and if I can take it in a different direction, here, here's a word that we use that doesn't have the meaning that it actually has. Friend. I went on my Facebook and I've got 177 friends. <laughs> now, I, I know a lot of you think, well, that's not a whole lot. And, and it's not because I looked up some of your Facebooks. And I won't call you out, but one person has 648 friends. Another one had 775 friends. One person had 780, another one had 884. One person in our congregation had 1,030 friends. And I didn't pick anybody out on purpose. I'm just going down. And then I tripped across one that had 1,473 friends. In Facebook, we've got hundreds of friends. What does that mean? You're my friend. Well, what it means in Facebook is I know who you are. I may recognize your face. I recognize your name. I may know some of the same people you know, but what it doesn't mean is you are my friend. I've had a lot of friend requests. I've had some from all around the world. When we started going out, we're preaching to 42 countries today. And I've gotten friend requests from South Africa, from Germany, and all kinds of places. Friends, they're, they're, I love them. I've never met them. I don't know them. And they're, 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 they're not friends. They are acquaintances in some cases. In some cases, they're not even that. You know, they're a friend of a friend of a friend that sends you a friend request because they know somebody you know. And, and so we use that word friend. We may know some of the same people, may even know their family or where they live, but what they are never, and, and not, I won't say never, but in most cases, they are not a friend. They're an acquaintance. See, there's the word that fits. They're an acquaintance. You say, well, why are they not friends? They're not friends, church, because we have no real relationship. See, there's another word that we misuse, relationship. You say, how do we misuse that? Well, you'll see on Facebook, so-and-so is in a relationship, all right? What that doesn't mean is they're in a relationship. No, what they are in is a courtship. See, a relationship 
is at least two people working, everybody say working, working to have a meaningful association with each other. A courtship is a unique relationship because it's an association of a romantic nature. So if a relationship is given that definition, then this lady's got 1,473 people that she is in a romantic relationship with. No, they're in a courtship. Building relationship and friendship is a good thing. But church, it takes work. And some people have built many relationships. They're friends. Some have few. Some people sadly have none. Because we need people in our life. Relationship and friendship is vital to church life. When we built this sanctuary, we ran into a thing that was almost killed the deal was putting in a turning lane out here on the highway. And we were having to do all kind of research to see if we were gonna have to have a turning lane and the cost of that was gonna be astronomical. And we, were, we didn't know if we were gonna be able to move forward. Well, my architect told me, he said, Bernie, you will not need a turning lane if your church is healthy. He said, because if you dis- when you say amen, if your parking lot empties in 15 minutes, that you have no church life. You have no church life. He said, but I already know you and I know your church. He said, you're not going to need a turn, turning lane because we have friends in our church. When I say amen, it's an hour later and you guys are still hanging out. Hey, come on. That's, that is a good thing. I told you the other day, this is a church where people actually like each other. Hey, that's a very good thing. Amen. Very good thing. Because relationship is it's vital to church life. But more than that, it's vital to all of life. The very first thing that God said when he made Adam, he said, it is not good that man would be alone. And he created another human being for him to have a relationship with. A courtship in that case. He created a wife and brought her to him. Now, some people hear that and they say, bah humbug, I don't need anybody. Huh? Have you ever said that? I have. I don't need anybody. I'm defined by myself. What is that? That's coming from hurt. Somebody's hurt you. Because that's a lie. It's a lie of the enemy. That's coming from pain and rejection and somebody that has wounded you. And those who think like that church are in need of a friend more than most people. They need a friend, not an acquaintance. They need a real, true friend. And few people sadly have real, true friends. If you've got lots of friends, you are a very blessed person. If you've got a few friends, you're blessed. If you've got one very true, I'm talking about a genuine, true friend. You are a very fortunate, blessed person because a lot of people don't have that. True friends, it always takes time and effort to develop that, to foster that deep, healthy relationship because they offer you support. 
They improve your quality of life. They promote self-confidence in you. And most importantly, they give you unconditional love. John 15 verse 12 says this, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. You are my friends if you do whatever I commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. So a friend is not just an acquaintance. It's someone that you have worked to know and to love and someone that has worked to know and love you. It's a two-way street for us to be friends with each other and to love one another like God commanded us to. We have to build that relationship. And third, finally, a, a friend will provide honesty. And this is where we hit a smack. Huh? Come on. You can be my friend, just don't point out anything that's wrong with me. Right? You're supposed to make me feel good all the time. But Proverbs 27 verse 5 says this, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Let me read it in the Amplified Version. Better is an open reprimand of loving correction than the love that is hidden. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve his hidden agenda. Bible talks about people that always flatter you. That's evil. It's evil because all they do is flatter you. But the sad thing is sometimes your friends cannot and will not receive correction. Now, as a pastor, a lot of times I am put in the position to watch over your souls. And there's been times that I've had to go to people and point out something in their life out of a love for them, a concern for them, a responsibility for them. And they will not and cannot receive it. And instead of appreciating the fact that your friend is trying to help you, a lot of times you will resent them. You will break fellowship with them and you will pull away from them and put up walls. People are often wounded. Even if it's a true friend who only wants to help them, they put up walls, not because they don't want friends, but a lot of times it's because of pride. Some people are just narcissistic. Can I let you in on a little bit of a clue here? We are all narcissistic to some degree. Hello. Look it up, narcissistic. If you want a real and interesting study, look up NPD. Narcissistic personality disorder. And when you start seeing yourself in that, you're like, hello, I need to work on me. 
But sometimes it's pride. Or they don't want to be wounded again. Perhaps it's because you're a better friend to them than they are to you. You have an unrealistic expectation of friendship. They think you're supposed to support me all the time. You're supposed to make me feel good and build confidence in me. While they're doing something that is destructive or it's harmful or it's... Listen, if you're walking around with a big smudge on your face and everybody like... (coughs) And I don't say anything to you. All right, you got body odor. All right? And nobody, everybody's laughing at you. Everybody's making fun. I'm your friend. I'm like, dude, man, you need to take a bath. <laughs> Come on, I'm doing you a favor because people are rejecting you. I am simply trying to help you. All right, I'm just picking out some stuff. It's funny, but are you hearing what I'm saying? If I care about you and I love you, I want to help you see things you cannot see. And some people, you just can't tell them anything that's wrong with them. They won't hear it. And they will resent you, sometimes even hate you because you've tried to help them. And they put up these walls to keep you out. What has happened? They have not had the love of God perfected in them. See, the problem with walls is they become prisons. When your friend, your brother, takes offense, Proverbs 18, verse 19, look at this. It says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. A strong city, that means a stronghold. That means a city that has walls around it. They have taken offense and they put up walls and it's harder to win them than knock those walls down. And it says their contentions are like the bars of a castle. In other words, they've taken offense and they have locked themselves inside of a wall with bars. What is that? It's a prison. They put themselves in a self-made prison because you were trying to help them. You see, what Paul is pointing out is man started out right with God. He walked with God in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden, but sin separated him from God. And God made a way for man to be reconciled unto him. He built a bridge between us and, and him. And then God said that sin is what separated us from God. And church, listen, sin is what separates us from each other. Same thing. God made a way to reconnect man to himself and he made a way for us to be reconnected to each other. And this is why Jesus said the greatest commandment that you're going to, he, a, 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 a Pharisee asked him, so what is the greatest commandment? He said, well, what does the word say? So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is likened unto it. You shall love your neighbor like you love yourself. He said, therein is the, all the commandment fulfilled. In those two, you're to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor like you love yourself. Fulfill those, you feel fulfilled all the law, he says. We need to build relationship with God. 
And we need to build relationships with each other. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What does that mean? That means the way I react when somebody says something that offends me or hurts my feelings, I don't act like that anymore. If I'm in Christ Jesus, I don't act like that anymore. That's put to death. There's a new creation now. Uh, somebody comes to you and they point out something's wrong with you. Don't get mad at them if you know they love you and they're trying to help you. I've had people do that in my life. I had a guy come to me uh, here a few years ago and something that I had said, I, I just, I say a lot up here on Sundays, right? I remember when Mark, my son-in-law, came and he said, Dad, we were shut down for COVID for a couple of weeks. We weren't shut down long. And he said, we need to put something out online. I'm like, I have never been in the front of a camera in my life. I'm like, me in front of a camera, Mark? I don't think that's a good idea. He said, well, that's the way we can. I said, all right. So I sit down in my office and I went over this thing. I said, all right, let me, let me critique that before you send it out. So I did. I'm like, take that out. And you know what? And then he sends it out. Then he comes and says, we need to do this live. I'm like, live? I said, you can't take anything back. <laughs> right? It, it's, it's out there, you know. And so, so I was a little hesitant about doing that. And um, I forget where I was going with all that, but... I need to do like Nathan. That's all I got for you. <laughs> uh, he did a great job that Sunday. Dave, he won't let you forget that, will he, son? No. Oh, I, I, I know what it was. And, um, and so um, it was about that time I was, I was addressing some things and I don't want to get too specific, but he, he, I said something and it, to me, I just blurted it out, you know, because we, I do a lot of that. And he came to me and he said, he said, pastor, so what you said, I want you, I want you to hear it through my ears. All right. And, and he told me, this is what you said, but this is what I heard. And this is what other people heard. And when he said it, I thought, wow, I, it was Dwight. I'll tell you who it was. It was Dwight. Dwight came and he said, this is what I heard. And he said, man, it made me, it hurt me. It hurt me to hear you say that. He said, it could have come from anybody else and it wouldn't have had that effect. But coming from you, this, this is how I took it. And he was right. I, I never looked at it through somebody else's eyes, you see. And so rather than getting offended at him, I appreciate that he pointed that out to me so that I wouldn't keep sticking my foot in my mouth. Right? Because I didn't even realize that I was doing that. And he pointed it out to me because he cares. And because he did that, it improved who I am. See, faithful are the wounds of a friend because they love you and they care about you. They're trying to help you. Don't get offended at them. Appreciate it. Amen. So God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, there's another word, reconciliation. What does it mean? 
God has restored our relationship. That's what that means. Reconciliation means he's restored it. We were walked in the garden with God. That relationship was broken, and now it's been restored. We can walk with God. The old song says, he walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow ways. You ask me how I know he lives because he lives in my heart. He walks with me and talks with me. We have a relationship with God. I hope you have a relationship with God. Because God's restored a relationship with Christ and he's given us the ministry of restoring relationships. Proverbs 27 in verse, I'm sorry, I skipped a page here. If we define Christianity, if we define Christianity, it would be It would not be religion. It wouldn't be ritual. It wouldn't be rules. Christianity is a relationship. Jesus came to reconcile, to restore relationship. And he gave us the ministry of restoring relationship. And as a reconciled person, a Christian, the most important thing in life, it's not money, it's not status, it's not success, it's not pleasure, it's not fame, it's people. As a reconciled person, the most important thing in my life is you. It's people. The loneliest people in the world are some of the most famous and successful and wealthy people in the world. I believe one of the most anointed programs you could turn on and watch, you need to go home, if you haven't seen this, you need to go home and turn it on and watch it. It's, it's, a, it's a show called Cars. Anybody ever seen Cars? It's a cartoon about Lightning McQueen. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Lightning McQueen and Mater, the wrecker truck. If you haven't seen it, it is a must-see for every Christian. Because all Lightning McQueen thinks about and cares about is Lightning McQueen. He keeps having these visions of him up in lights and these two little pink... Poor girls kissing him and everybody's cheering, fireworks going off because he has won the Piston Cup. You know, and he's on his way to this great big race and Mac, his truck, somehow the back door opens up and he falls off the truck and he's in the middle of the highway. He doesn't have headlights, he's a race car. And it's night and he's riding around crazy. He's looking for Mac and he can't find Mac and he winds up in Radiator Springs in Carburetor County. And he meets an old race car, Doc Hudson, the Hudson Hornet, winner of three Piston Cups. And one day he stumbles into Hudson's, uh, Doc Hudson's garage and he sees these Piston Cups and he's like, you, you're, you're the famous Hudson Hornet. You won three Piston Cups. And he said, all I see is an empty cup. And through the, the, the message of the story is at the end of it all, he comes to realize that all of those things is not important. What's in, because he realized he had no friends in this world, not one. And the people that surrounded him didn't care about him. All they cared about was what he could do for them. And he built a relationship with Mater. Because Mater told him, he said, I knew I was right in choosing you. He said, why? I said, because you're my best friend. And a light went off. I've never had a friend. And how important it was to have a friend. 
and listen to the wisdom of Doc who is speaking into his life things he didn't want to hear. And he finally, at the end of it, he gives up the, the, the I'm ruining the movie for you if you had not seen it, but he gives up the piston cup and they said, you gave up the piston cup. He said, well, a wise old race car just told me it's only an empty cup. Because he said, he said, lightning, when they're through with you, the only thing that is left is an empty cup. See, the message in that is relationship matters. The value of a relationship. Let's read it again. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 in the Amplified. Better is the open reprimand of loving correction. Doc Hudson. The Hudson Hornet. Then love that is hidden. See, listen, love that is hidden is not a bad thing because some people are non-confrontational, all right? They love you. They really do. They care about you, but they're never going to point out or correct anything that's wrong with your character. Their, their love is hidden. They're not, I don't want to jeopardize our relationship. I'm not going to point out anything because it could cause our, our relationship. I'm, they're not going to point that out. And he's not saying that's a bad thing. But he's saying it is better to correct somebody lovingly than to love them hiddenly. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's, just, it's better to tell them the things that they need to hear because faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of a love and concern. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they only serve their hidden agenda. What they were doing to Lightning McQueen was just to serve themselves. They're kissing him up and telling him how great he is and he's the greatest race car ever and blah, 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 just because he can do something for them. Got to see it, amen? Yeah. I mean, if you know what I'm telling the truth, if you've seen Lightning McQueen, right? You're going to go home and watch it, aren't you? <laughs> so today's message is be ye reconciled to God. Be reconciled. See, that's really that scripture is what it's talking about. It's not necessarily talking about being reconciled to each other when we fall out of a fellowship. It's talking about man being separated from God, and our ministry is to reconcile men to God. But you hear me in this church. You cannot be reconciled to God and not be reconciled to each other. You can't. You can't. No one can be reconciled to God and live in a self-made prison of unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred. 1 John 4, let's look at it again. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's lying to himself. He's being lied to. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this commandment, everybody say commandment. This commandment we have from him, from God, that he who loves God must, he must love his brother also. So how do we build that relationship? How do we build true friendship? It's not by clicking on face page that you're now my friend. <laughs> Amen. If, if it were only that simple, right? No, you have to be proactive. It's just in the, in the real world. You can't be friends by sitting over in the corner and never, because I, how do I know this? I am actually an introvert by nature. I'm the guy that sits over here and everybody's just doing their thing and I'm just happy to just sit here and watch, you know. I'm still that way. 
I had to learn from somebody who is the polar opposite of that. Everybody she meets is a pre-friend, right? And I, when we first got married, we were at the lake getting ready to go fishing and she's over here chit-chatting with these people and she comes over and I said, do you know those people? No, well, see, she, did. she knew them then. Well, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so and she told me all about them. I'm like, well, why are you talking to them if you don't know them, you know? Because that was just foreign to my thing. I don't know you. I'm not going to come up and just start. But I learned you, you have to be proactive. And you've got to have the boldness of a lion and go up and say, hi, my name is Bernie. What's your name? I, I realized I could do that. <laughs> and it works. They're like, my name is so-and-so. And, like, and then you start saying, well, where do you work? Are you, where are you from? And you start asking them questions about themselves. That's being proactive. You know, what I found out is you can build a relationship more in two minutes by being interested in them than in two weeks of trying to get them interested in you. Because you don't want to just meet friends and say, I met a friend. No, I want to meet you because I would like to get to know you and we can build a relationship and we can start to develop friendship. Because real friends, it takes time and investment. Because a lot of times your friendship is put to the test to see, are you really a friend? And sometimes that friendship is not really confirmed until you've gone through something and they didn't leave you. They were there for you through it all. And sometimes that... It takes time. Sometimes you can hit some bumpy roads and you, fall, you go apart and you're like, I'm mad and I'm mad and you're mad and we're mad. and uh, Right? Come on now. That's true. And then we get down the road. It's like, you know what? They mean more to me than that. Yeah. Our relationship means more to me than that. And so that doesn't matter. What matters is you. And it's a, the friendship didn't fail. It just hit a bump in the road and you just got to get, get over that, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a process. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man who has friends must, everybody say must. He must himself be friendly. I can't sit over in the corner like, oh, nobody wants to be my friend. <laughs> well, hello. You know, like get up off of your toad and go over here and say hello to somebody, you know. He says, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Amen. That's a brother in Christ or Christ in us. So you don't wait for them to come to you. People want to be friends. They just don't know how. So you, you have to be proactive. Now, also, we reconcile to friends who have wounded us. Because if you have shown kindness to a total stranger, but you can't show the same kindness to a friend who has hurt you, there's something wrong with that picture. And, and one thing that we have a tendency to do is like, well, you hurt me, I'm, I'm through with you. And then you go over and make another friend. And now you got this friend to pal around with and it's like, I don't, I'm over that. The, the, you know what? You were never their friend. They may have been your friend. 
They might have been a better friend to you than you are to them. But if you won't, if you're, you, what you've done, if you built a wall between you and them, you've put yourself in a prison and you're wallowing in hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment. Saying, oh, I love you, God. But you're hating your brother and you're lying to yourself. So you've got to be proactive. Second thing is you've got to refuse to wear a mask. Take off the mask. Because can I give you a news flash? You're not perfect and everybody else sees it. Uh Huh? I'm looking at myself when I say that. Bernie, you're not perfect and everybody else sees it. It's the one thing that we all have in common. (laughs) Amen. None of us are perfect. But we're working on it, aren't we? Come on, because if the love of God is in us, we have been perfected. Right? So we're working on it. At least I hope we are. We should be. So you got to be real. Be honest with people. Be open. Be authentic. Be sincere. Because most people will see right through a phony. If you're acting like you're all that, everybody else sees, no, you're not all that. All right? When somebody's acting, you see that, no, they're not all that. Second, are you still with me? Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I doubtless, it is, not, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He's talking about himself in the third person. He said, such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I will boast yet of myself. I will not boast. I'm going to boast about Jesus, he said, but I'm not bragging about myself. Except in my infirmities. In other words, my weaknesses, my shortcomings, all my failures, all of my flaws that everyone sees. That's what I'm going to boast about. That's what he's saying. Verse six says, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be and hears from me. Because there's no point in me telling you I am all of that when you clearly see that I am not. Right? Right? Verse seven says, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning these things, I pleaded to the Lord three times that he might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities. He's not talking about physical ailments. He's talking about all of the problems and the flaws that you see. Those are the things that I boast in. 
I therefore take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress. Oh, wait a minute, I, I skipped it. Therefore, I most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10 says, therefore, I take pleasure in, in, in my infirmities, in my weaknesses, in my reproaches, in my needs, in my persecutions, in my distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, all right, he's taking the mask off. When I'm being real with you, when I'm being honest with you, when I'm being open and I'm being authentic and I'm sincere, when I'm being humble before you, that's what I glory in, he said. Because when I am that, then I am strong. Church, when we take off the mask and we go to somebody and say, look, I hurt you. I hurt you. It was my fault. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. You took the mask off. Guess what's going to happen? That friendship is going to be restored. Take the mask off. Be proactive. Take the mask off. It helps people to see that Pastor B has the same challenges that you do. And I don't always pass the test. There's times that I have to say, I'm sorry, I hurt you, I failed you. But church, you listen to me, because this is the main point. If you don't get anything else out of this message, you hear me on this. There is no wrong that you have done to anyone that justifies that person harboring unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred towards you. And there is no wrong that I have done to you or anyone that justifies you harboring hatred, bitterness, or unforgiveness toward me. There's nothing that anyone can do to you to justify you walking and building a prison for yourself of bitterness and anger and hatred and unforgiveness. And in fact, I believe that whatever they've done to you, your prison that you've built for yourself is a greater sin than anything they could do to you. It's a greater sin. Mark 11, Jesus said this in verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if, any, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, church, there's some things you could do to me that's probably pretty bad. All right, and you can repent, go before God, say, I'm sorry, and you and God are good. But if I'm walking in bitterness and unforgiveness towards you, me and God are not good. And it doesn't matter how many scriptures I post on Facebook and talk about how great my relationship is with Jesus. If you're living with bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment towards your brother, you're lying to yourself if you think you're right with God. Hard message. The church, we need this so much. In the body of Christ. I dreamt this week about a man. I saw his face laughing. A friend. Out of the many things about him that I appreciate and I enjoyed, his laughter was the most beautiful thing 
The last few times I've seen him, I don't know, maybe he's laughing everywhere, but when he sees me, he is not laughing. He's angry, resentful, and bitter. And I hate it that our relationship is broken. I love him. And whatever I've done to him, I'm sorry. But I can't help him if he won't help himself. And the sad thing is I know where he is at and he's in a bad, bad place with God because he's lying to himself if he thinks he's right with God. And he hates me. So I pray for him. That's why I'm bringing this message today. Don't try to figure out who it is. It's none of your business. (laughs) I say that in love. Doesn't matter. I know who it is. So we've got to be proactive. Take off the mask. The third thing is demonstrate God's love. Love is more than an understanding or a feeling or a concept. It's an action. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk. Everybody say walk. Walk in love. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and has given, us him, given himself. He gave for us an offering and as a sacrifice. Sometimes love is sacrificial to God for a sweet-smelling savor. The way we demonstrate God's love, it meets three essential needs. If you're taking notes, number one is acceptance. You've got to accept people just where they are. Romans 5 eight says, but God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together and then love us. He loved us while we were wallowing in our sin. Now, you can accept someone. This is a tricky area for Christians. You can accept someone without accepting what they're doing. Jesus always accepted the sinner. When they brought the woman caught in the very act of adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you. But then he said, go and sin no more. He didn't acknowledge that what she did was okay. In fact, he acknowledged that it was not okay. It was a sin and told her, don't do it again. And you can accept people where they are in their sin without accepting their sin. We have to understand that not everybody grows at the same pace. Some people are a new babe in Christ and they, they grow gradually and they need us to help them grow. You don't have a baby and just throw it out there and say, do the best you can, God help you, I hope you make it. You know, you got to go behind them and they're pooping on themselves and they're puking all over the place and they're snotting all over. I mean, it's, it's nasty. It's hard work. Come on, church. Sometimes it's hard. That's why they need us in their life to help them. Acceptance. And they don't have it all together. Okay. But there's an acceptable response to that. If somebody's, they're, they're, they're struggling and you're, you're trying to help them and they're messing up, I don't have to accept what they're doing. See, I read that. Uh, I've lost my place here. I got on this. This area can be challenging. So, so if you sin, all right, here we are. If, you, if you're walking in sin, I'm going to accept you. 
I'm going to accept you right where you are while I warn you. All right? While I warn you. Let's read it again. Proverbs 27, 5. Better is an open reprimand of loving correction than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of friend who cracks out of love and concern. So if I'm bringing correction to you, and here's the acceptable reaction to that. You're right, I know. Because when, when Dwight came to me, he said, you did this, and this is how what I heard. I'm like, you know what, you're right. You're right. All right? And if, and if I come and say, look, this, this, you need to work on this. This is a sin. This is a, a flaw in your life. This is a flaw in your character. And you say, I know. Pray for me. I, I'm, I'm trying. Brother, I'm going to tell you what. I am with you. I'm going to see you. We're going to work together. We're going to see you through this. If, if you come to me, you, you got this, and, and I say, I'm sorry. You're right, man. Please pray for me. I'm trying. Then you need to stand by my side. That is an acceptable response. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? But here's an unacceptable response. If I point this out to you and you say, well, there's nothing wrong with blah, 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 blah. There's nothing wrong with, I'm not doing anything wrong. Mind your own business. When the scripture clearly says that there is, I'm not talking about a matter of conscience. I'm talking about established biblical doctrine and you're willfully choosing to walk outside of it while maintaining that I'm not doing anything wrong. Then at that point, you are a heretic. And while Jesus accepted the sinner, he never accepted a heretic. Titus chapter three, verse 10 it says, a man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition, you reject him. Knowing that he that is such is subverted and he sins, being condemned of himself. So I'm not saying that you accept everybody in everything that they do and say, it's okay. It, 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 God is going to overlook any sin that you do. Just come on in. You can live in this situation, act that way, do this and do that. I'm not saying that. When I say we accept each other, we accept each other while we are telling them. In fact, if you read Ezekiel chapter three, it says, if you see somebody sinning, and you don't warn them, their blood is on your hands. They will die in their sins and their righteousness that they have done will not be remembered, he said. But if you warn them and they repent, you have saved their soul and you have also saved your soul. Read Ezekiel chapter three if you want to find out what that's about. We are responsible for our brother when they're walking in sin. But if they reject it and they continue to reject it and you warn them, you warn them, you warn them and they just refuse to turn from their sin, they're willfully walking in it, it's like, I'm sorry, I love you, I wanna help you, but I can't help you if you don't wanna help yourself. But Paul did that. Remember in 1 Corinthians, he said, there's a man among you doing things that's not even mentioned among the Gentiles. He's sleeping with his stepmother. He said, I'm not there, but I've already judged the situation. Not only are you to tow him out of the church, but you're to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his soul might be saved. The church, I don't understand part B of that command, how his soul is going to be saved in the day of judgment by turning him over to Satan. I don't get that. But part A is crystal clear. If he is a heretic, you are to throw him out of the church and turn him over to the devil. There is no, there's nothing to wonder about that. So I'm not just saying you accept anything and everything. I'm not saying that. But people that are trying and they're, they just, they're, they just not there yet. Come on. 
We accept them. We, we pick them up and we clean them up and we dust them off. Say, brother, I'm with you. We're going we're to get there. So there has to be acceptance. A humble man doesn't know sometimes. Jesus sat down and ate with sinners and you can too. All right. So you, you, you demonstrate God's love when it meets these three essential needs. And, and the first one is accepting them in a way that is biblically appropriate. The second is aff, affirm, affirmation. People need affirmation. Come on, everybody, all of us have insecurities and hangups. And sometimes it is so easy to see what's wrong with people. Right? It's easy to see all the flaws and the hangups, but we need to see what's good with them too. Remember the rocking chair? We all hear the sun. Who's here the Sunday? I brought the rocking chair up here and did an illustration with the rocking chair. And that rocking chair was a big, beefy rocking chair. I said, I bet you 10 of us can get in this rocking chair and rock right now, and it will hold us. And it will do that for many, many years to come. It's good, it's sturdy, it's usable. There is more good about that old rocking chair than any flaws I might find in it. But if you look at close inspection, you'll see some scratches in it, you'll see some cracks in it, you'll see some loose nails in it. And if all you can do is point out the scratches and the nails and the cracks and the stuff, you'll never see the fact that it is a good rocking chair. Listen, you rock. There's more good in you than the flaws that I can find in you. But some people, all they see is the cracks and they want to be sure they point them out to you. All right? And what you need, what we all need is affirmation. Everybody likes to be told, good job. You did it right. I'm proud of you. You're so good at that. Why do children come up and say, look at the picture that I painted? Why do children do that? They need your affirmation. Why do kids come and say, Daddy, Daddy, watch me? Affirmation. We are, church, here's something. We never outgrow that. We all need affirmation. And so we need to people to see more good in us than the flaws they see in us. Right? So if you're going to make a withdrawal, in other words, if I'm going to bring correction in your life and point out something you're doing wrong, you need to make far more investments. You go to the bank and try to make a withdrawal when you hadn't put any money in there, that banker's going to tell you to hit the road, you know. And same thing is true when we compliment each other, we build each other up, we exhort each other, and so much more as we see that day. And I've done a lot of that. You know, you know, I love you. I care about you. I want good for you. But I need to talk to you about something. Then you're going to hear me, Right? Because I've made more investments than I'm making withdrawals. So we need to accept each other. We need to affirm each other. And finally, the third thing, we need to assist each other. God's love should not stop at just words. James 2 verse 15 says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, depart in peace and be ye warmed and filled, but notwithstanding, you give them not the things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? What, what good is it? See, a relationship is always strengthened more by your actions 
than by your words alone. Amen? Amen. Take to heart the words that I've said to you this morning. Because I believe that God wants us to see these things and examine our heart and pray for people. I'm not telling us to judge people that's walking in bitterness. How many of you know somebody right now? I'm not asking to be judgmental or anything, but how many of you know right now people that are angry and bitter and they're living in a walled city they made for themselves because they're, they're filled with anger and resentment and hatred? All right, pray for them. I do. I'm praying for this brother I dreamt about. I'm praying for him. One, I'm concerned about his soul, but two, I love him. I I would love to have that sweet communion once again. I'd love to see him laugh. Hate the devil. Huh? I hate the devil. Sows discord among their brethren. You know, Proverbs 6.16 said, these six things I hate, yea, seven is an abomination. You go down a lying tongue and feet is swift to run to mischief and hands that shed innocent blood. And it goes down to listen. The seventh thing is he that sows discord among the brethren. He said, it's an abomination. I hate it. God says, I hate it. Sowing discord among the brethren. Some people, God help them, they're just troublemakers, you know. Well, amen. I'm through yelling at you. Won't you stand up if you would, please? I'll leave you with this one question. Has anyone here today done all the things that I have pointed out this morning that you should do? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands because I would venture to say that no, you have not. So did you look at me and say, well, pastor, have you done all the things that you pointed out this morning? And I will very freely tell you, no, I have not. But if you have failed in these areas, do I have a right to hold it against you and be offended and bitter and unforgiving toward you? That's a question. Yes or no answer. Do I have a right? No. And if I have failed in these things, do you have a right to live in bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment? See, none of us have that right. In fact, God commands us that we have to love our brother. We have to forgive if we want God's forgiveness. If anything has separated you, has separated me, has separated us from each other, we all have the ministry of reconciliation. God's given us that. And he said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples because you love each other. Amen. So the next time somebody hurts your little feelings, come on. Let's practice instantaneous forgiveness. I I may do a sermon on forgiveness here because it's something I had to learn. I was a very unforgiving person for a long time. And I I went to a conference, uh, Morris Sheets, he was a Baptist minister, and his wife 
got up and gave testimony at that conference. She had some rare disease where she was super sensitive to light and to sound. You had to speak to her just in a whisper because if you spoke in a normal voice, it was like screaming in her ears and the lights were down dim and her daughter would come in and read the Bible to her and she would read and she read the scripture says to be carnally minded is death to be spiritually minded is life and she said when she would read it it would just get irritate her in her spirit she was bedridden she couldn't get up her body all of her nerves was hypersensitive she couldn't wear high heel shoes Morris was invited to, he was, I think he might have been the president of the Southern Baptist Convention or something, wasn't he at one time? I, I, don't quote me on that, but he was invited to do a conference in South America and he wasn't going to go because she was in such bad shape. And she said, Morris, you have to go. And so when he left, she said she, she was praying and said, God kept bringing these two men back to mind that had wronged them, seriously wronged them in ministry. And she was filled with hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness towards those men. And she said when she'd think of them, she just, oh, she just wanted to hurt them, you know. And she said God began to convict her about hating these men. And you have to forgive and you have to love. And she knew all those scriptures. And she said what I realized is that forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a will. And she said, I chose to forgive them. And I'm listening to this, having the same bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred in my heart. Brother, if they put on a movie screen some of the thoughts that I've had about people that's wronged me, you would ask for my resignment. Come on, don't sit there and act all holy. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you had some of the same imaginations yourself. But she said, I had to choose to forgive them. And so she said, I prayed like this, God, you know I don't mean this because you know my heart and if I say I mean it, you'll know I'm lying. But because you commanded me to forgive, I choose to forgive those men. And she'd call their name. And she said, I kept praying that and I kept praying that and I kept praying that until I finally meant it. And then not only did I pray that, say, God, I forgive them. I started praying for their family. I started praying for their ministry. I started praying that you bless them. And she said, and I meant it. And church, she was standing on a platform completely and totally healed by the power of God. Mars Sheet said, when I got off of the plane from South America, he said, my wife met me in high heel shoes. Because she had forgiven and this prison that she had made for herself actually hurt her physical body. Put her in a physical prison. And I'm not saying that that happens to everybody. It doesn't. It didn't happen to me, but I was in a prison myself. And so I learned from that. And I, I made a list. I made a list. I said, you know, boy, it was hard because I wanted to hurt some people, man. I used to be a violent kid, you know, but I was like, I can't forgive them and get even. Because I didn't get angry. I wanted to get even. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about? But I started saying, God, you know I don't mean this, 
but you commanded me and I went right through the process and let me tell you something it works it works because I got to the point I said God I pray for them I pray for their soul I pray for their family I pray that you bless them God I pray that you help them I pray they walk in health and they prosper and I meant it so church if somebody's wronged you you do not have the right to harbor bitterness and anger and unforgiveness toward them. And if you do, no matter what they've done to you, your sin is greater than theirs. Amen. Think about it. All right. I'm going to leave it there. I'm not, listen, I, I, when I look across this congregation, I'm not picking out a single person and I'm preaching to them. Don't get that idea. I'm, I'm, that's, this is for all of us. Amen. All right. Because I, I don't think I could throw that stone out there and not hit any dog in the house. No, I'm not calling you dogs. Boy, I just stuck my foot in it. I was doing so good, and there I go. No, there's a saying, when you throw a rock, only the dog that gets hit barks the loudest, you know. So please forgive me if I just insulted you. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying? We, we all need to hear these things, I believe. So, amen. Amen. Let's pray. We got a song for me? It's, I won't relent till I no. <laughs> Amen. Father, God. Oh, God, forgive us, Lord. Lord, you know our heart. We want to serve you. We want to serve your people. And Lord, sometimes we just make such a mess of it. Our intentions are good, Lord. And Lord, when we hurt people, it's not done with maliciousness or forethought. Sometimes it's just done. We don't even know we did it, and sometimes we do, and sometimes it's, we get in the flesh, and sometimes we meant it, and we have to say, I'm sorry, and all of it, whatever the, whatever the recipe that created this thing, God, we ask, Lord, that you forgive us, Lord, as we forgive them. God, help us to be forgiving and loving and kind and merciful and gracious like you. For Lord, you said, as you are, so are we in this earth. So help us to be like you, Jesus, I pray. And Lord, I pray today that this message has helped us, Lord, to see the importance of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Lead us to the throne, Hunter. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom
song, don't you? Praise God. Well, before we dismiss, I just wanted to remind all the, the uh, folks that's been coming, uh, your visitors or maybe your first-time visitor, you've been coming a while and you haven't attended one of the um, uh, welcoming luncheons that we have so that you have an opportunity to meet the leadership. We're going to be doing that next Sunday. So if you're new here, let's, let's do lunch together. It's called the Newcomer's Lunch. It'll be Sunday, September the 17th, immediately after service. And uh, we would love to have a time just to sit down and get to know you. So uh, if, you, if you haven't attended that and you're new here, please put that on your calendar and just hang around after church next week. And we're going to sit down and have a meal together and just get to know each other real, real good. Amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's dismiss in prayer. Father, Lord, we pray that you will just bring to our remembrance every word that was spoken by your Spirit. God, if there was something that I said today, God, that was said out of the flesh or inaccurate, Lord, I pray that it just fall to the ground and die, Lord. But every word that it proceeded from your mouth, God, you said, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. So, God, I pray that your word does prosper, God, that it finds fertile ground. It grows, God, and it produces a great harvest in our spirit, Lord. Father, help us to be just like you. And God, as we strive to do that, Father, we pray that you will strengthen us in our inner man that we're able to do that, God, because these things are not possible in the natural, Lord, but they are possible in Jesus Christ. For you said all things are possible through Christ Jesus, Lord. So God, I pray those things to be true and accurate, Lord. Now, Father, as we leave the sanctuary today, God, I pray that you watch over the body of Christ, Lord. Keep them safe, oh Lord. God, protect them, Father, from the, from the tactics and, the, and the, the strategies of the enemy, Lord. God, that you put your hedge around them, Lord. We plead the blood of Jesus over the body of Christ today, Lord. The enemy is raging, Lord. He's roaming to and fro like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. But God, I pray that your umbrella of protection, Lord, be over the body of Christ, Lord, here and around the world, Lord. Now, God, I speak a blessing over those who are here today, God, over their home. Father, may it be a refuge, an escape from the world, Lord, a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome. God, that you will strengthen the family, husbands and their wives, parents and their children, siblings, one with each other, Lord. God, those that are walking alone and seeking their mate, Lord, I continue to pray, God, that you bring their paths together, Lord, that they find that person that you have selected just for them, Lord. And if they're content, Lord, to make you their mate, then, God, you just comfort and strengthen them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, church.